Church, how y'all doing? So good to see you all. Let's make some noise for our campuses watching all over New Jersey. And of course, our Church Online family. So good to have you guys here as we are wrapping up our series playlist where we've been looking at how music kind of forms and informs and can actually be transformative to our own lives. But before we do that, I got to let you know that next week, Pastor Tim's going to be back with a very special Sunday. It will be our Vision Sunday. And let me tell you, I am super excited about this Sunday because this is a Sunday where Pastor Tim's going to be sharing kind of where we're going in the next year as a church. And we've got some amazing things that I guarantee you will not want to miss. So do whatever it takes to get to a campus next week. Watch online because you will be, you will be blown away. I'm excited about it, so I hope you will be too. But before we do that, we've got to wrap up our series playlist. Now, we've been kind of using playlists and using modern music as a way to explore a book of the Bible called the Psalms. Someone say Psalms. Psalms means praise in Hebrew, and we learned that the Psalms actually have different genres. For those of you who don't know, the Psalms was actually Jesus' playlist. The Psalms, about 150 songs that Jesus learned to memorize as a boy. It's the most quoted uh, book of the Old Testament in the New Testament. And so these Psalms have different genres, just like today's music has different genres, for instance. And they all kind of echo the different phases that we have in life. For instance, maybe you're going through a phase where everything is awesome. It's called the cruising phase, where everything is great. And so there's psalms of praise and worship that celebrate how good God is and how everything is stable and secure in our lives. But then we go through times in our lives where everything seems to crash out. Like it's just seasons of pain or suffering or illness. And so we have these psalms called lament psalms, which are these like protests. Like, God, why is the world so messed up? Why am I going through this? But sometimes we realize that we're the cause of the crash, don't we? And then there's these psalms of confession and repentance and saying, God, I want to turn away from my sins and my, these patterns that are destructive and turn back to you and turn towards life. And once you get through the crashing phase, you come to the crushing it phase. And here we have psalms of victory, psalms about how God has come through and how he's transformed us from this crashing phase into the crushing it phase. And, you know, many of you in this room, you came to know God because your life crashed out. And you realized, I, I need to look beyond it. And that's how you got to this phase where you're crushing it, where you can look to God for your help and your strength. And it's kind of interesting, because right now, it seems like Kanye West has gone from crashing to crushing it. Now, some of you are, okay, you give Kanye a hand. Why not? Why not? But can I, can I be honest with y'all? How many of you were like me when you heard Kanye was becoming a Christian? You are like, what? Are the Kardashian ratings that bad? Like, what's going on? And so maybe you're a little bit more skeptical, but maybe some of you were like, a sequel to Jesus Walks? Yes! And you're like, Jesus Walks, right? And so you're kind of going into that. You know, there's, there's all these different, like, perspectives that I think many of us are, you know, or how many of you thought it was interesting that, you know, Kanye's album, Jesus is King, dropped the same weekend as our Liquid Worship album dropped? Were you like, Kanye saw that our album's dropping, so he's got to drop his next, right? Some of you are thinking that, right? I, I know you were. But, you know, it's funny, like, you know, I don't know where you're at with this whole Kanye thing, but here's kind of my perspective on it. At the end of the day, uh, we don't know Kanye's heart. We don't know whether this is a legitimate transformative conversion or if it's just kind of something that he's doing right now. But our job as followers of Jesus is not to judge. If anything, we are called to pray for Kanye. 
and we're called to pray that God would use him, that the words that he's speaking out of his mouth would actually take hold and transform his heart and his life, and it would actually lead into life change. In fact, uh, the album Jesus is King, like, there are some powerful, powerful songs on that album. Like, I'm listening to this album, and I'm like, wow, like, I'm really brought into the presence of God. And so, for, to tour this album, Kanye's been doing these uh, Sunday services. And so, there's music, and there's preaching. It, it's like a quasi-worship service, in fact. And in fact, one of the coolest things about it is some of these songs are very powerful. In fact, I want to play for you a clip from one of these worship services, a song called God Is. Check this out. And I'll never turn back. You know, they, someone told me once that rappers, they're not allowed to pra plagiarize. Like, that's not what they're supposed to do. Like, everything's got to be uh, original. But Kanye, with his last line, has plagiarized. He took a line right out of the book of Psalms. That line, great, you know, I look up and I see God's faithfulness, that comes right out of Psalm 121 that we're going to be looking at today. It's a psalm of ascent. Someone say ascent. Ascent, ascent means going up. And so these psalms, psalms of ascent, there's actually about 15 of them, they were all sung as God's people were supposed to go on a pilgrimage. You see, um, in ancient Israel, God required that his people three times a year would come to Jerusalem because they, they lived all over the place. They were supposed to come to Jerusalem and as they were coming, they would sing these psalms of ascent because Jerusalem's on a hill. So they have to go up to Jerusalem on this hill. And so this was the original road trip playlist of Israel. And so they'd play these songs as they were getting ready to go and worship God. And these were songs had a very specific theme. They were about triumph. They were about victory. They were about confidence. It's like whatever fear we have, we know that God has got our back so we can be victorious. And for many of us in our culture, you know, we know what that's like. You go to a, a ball game or a football game, and when your team scores, usually there's some sort of triumphant song that's played to, to kind of say, you know, we did it. We are the winners. In fact, one of the most famous ones has to be from the band Queen, right? Whenever you win, I'm sure you have to hear this song. In fact, if you know it, sing along. Come on, everybody, at all of our campuses. Go ahead, wave the arm. And we'll keep on fighting till the end. Everybody, nice and loud. Ready? We are the what? There you go. No time for losers, because we are the champions of the world. Give yourselves a hand, Liquid. Do y'all think you're going to be singing Queen at church on Sunday morning? A little church sing-along? I'll tell you, so that's kind of how these Psalms of Ascent were meant to be sung. They were victorious Psalms, celebratory, like God has come through, let's celebrate. And that's how Psalm 121 would have been sung as they're walking through the mountains on their way to Jerusalem. So let's actually go ahead and look at this psalm together. It starts out in the verse 1. The psalmist would sing, I lift my eyes up to the mountains. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. Now I want to pause for a second. 
Why is he saying, I lift my eyes up to the mountains, where does my help come from? Why is he asking for help? We're going to talk about that in a minute, so go ahead and take that question, put it in your pocket so you don't lose it, and we'll come back to it. And the psalmist keeps on singing, he sings, he will not let your foot slip. He who watches over you will not slumber. Indeed, he who watches over Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. You know what this says? God is an insomniac. God can't sleep. And you know what that means for you? God doesn't sleep, he stands guard. I know for some of you that are here or you're watching at one of our campuses, you've been having a hard time sleeping at night because your mind is running and running and running. Can I just tell you something that God's fast enough to keep up with your mind at night? If you're looking for someone to talk to at night, God is there because he's always awake. He's always there for you. And the psalmist is reminiscing that, and then he keeps singing these words. He sings, the Lord watches over you. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun will not harm you by day, nor the moon by night. Because as these pilgrims are coming all over Israel, they're going to Jerusalem, you know, they're walking to Jerusalem, and there is harsh deserts and sun, and now they can have shade. They can have comfort because God is with them in this. And finally, he wraps up his song by singing this, the Lord will keep you from all harm. He'll watch over your life. The Lord will watch over your coming and your going both now and forevermore. See, this psalm is a psalm of victory in God's confidence because God promises, I got your back. No matter what happens, I am with you. I can promise my protection. And here's the truth that Psalm 120 tells us. It's this, because God is my help, I can have hope. Amen? So let's do this. Go ahead and put one hand up and say help. Because when we need help, we're like, can someone help me, right? Now put your other hand up and say hope. Help. Hope. You call out for help, and God's got hope. That's what we're going to look at today. How, how can we get in touch with God's help? But I think we need to kind of level set expectations. What do we mean by God's help? Do you ever think about that? Like, what does that exactly mean? Like, God's going to give me help. God's going to help me. Does that mean that when I'm feeling bad, God will make me feel happy? Does that mean that, you know, if things are going wrong in my life, if there's all this terrible tragedy, that God's just going to snap his magic fingers and everything's going to be made okay? Well, the truth of the matter is, God is God. He could literally take our lives and snap his fingers and make everything okay again. And, and we celebrate that because that does happen. God will sometimes come into our circumstances and change the things on the outside, and we can sing, we are the champions. God, you are good. But sometimes God doesn't always offer that kind of help. See, sometimes God stills the storms around us, but sometimes he stills us in the storms. Remember last week we talked about this idea of repentance, right? Repentance means, you know, I'm going this one way, and there's, it's sinful in this direction. There's these bad, d dangerous habits that I'm doing. But God's saying, I need to turn away from the darkness and turn to the light. I need to turn to God's ways. And what happens, we said last week that, you know, sometimes we try to change our behavior, but it's temporary because the behavior comes before the heart change. But what Jesus teaches us is the heart's got to change. And when your heart changes, the behavior changes, and it's permanent. And, and, and so this idea that sometimes when we're asking God for help, he gives us the help that we need, not always the help that we want. Sometimes the help he's got to give us is he's got to change your hearts because you're not ready for him to break through in the miraculous. You know, you can pray that God, would you take away my debt and God could make your debt go away. But sometimes the way God answers your prayer is he says, oh, he makes you realize I need to turn away from these really bad habits I have with money. 
I need to turn away from like, man, I've been using my money and, and I've been wasting all these things. I need to turn away from this and actually turn to better habits in how I manage my money. Biblical patterns in how I handle and think about money so that I can get out of debt and actually please God with my finances. You know, if God wants, he can automatically fix all of the relationships in your lives. Maybe there is a strained relationship with your parents. There's estranged and cutoffs all over your family. And you're praying that God would kind of fix those things. And God could do that. But what God could also be doing is teaching you how to set healthy boundaries. God actually may be preparing your heart to change the direction of the generations of your families. Where once abuse and abuse would pass from generation to generation, you're the generation that says no more. This will not get passed down. And literally, for the sake of your descendants, you are changing the story that your family tells. That could be how God brings help. Or maybe you are praying for God to, to bring healing, to bring physical healing to your life. And by the way, if that's where you're at, we are praying with you. And we will pray with you again and again and again until God brings healing into your life. But maybe God is tarrying. Maybe he's slow in that because he wants you to depend on him in those moments. And as you depend on God, people are watching you and seeing how God is transforming you in the midst of your sickness. It's actually blessing other people. Guys, God is the one who chooses how he will come and help us. Our job is to ask for help, to actually admit and say, hey, I, I need help, God. And so these pilgrims in ancient Israel, they're like, we need help, God. We need help. We, we need you to come through for us because, you know, they're seeing something very different than, than we see. See, when they sing these words, I lift my eyes up to the mountains, where does my help come from? Remember I told you, bring that question. You can, you can pull it out of your pocket now. Here's why they're asking that question. You know, often when we think of mountains, we think of these beautiful, serene pictures of the mountains. Maybe it's on your desktop or on your laptop background. Maybe you're like, oh, this is going to be a great Instagram post. I'll have the Rocky Mountains with the snow caps on top, with this verse right over it. It's going to be so beautiful. But ancient people don't think about that when they look at mountains. When they look at mountains, they feel danger and dread. Because for them, the mountains aren't this beautiful sight. You see, they have to go through them. And when they go through them, they find that they're really more like treacherous trails. I mean, check this out. You see, this is actually one of the routes to get to Jerusalem. As you can see, it's rocky. There's these deep ravines, these deep canyons. There are these very like narrow trails that you have to go through. And, and you're going through these rocks and the rocks aren't steady. And it eventually opens up to desert. And in the desert, there's no shade. There's no relief. You're in the sun all the time. And that's just the elements. And if you kind of look in this canyon here, you notice there's all these little nooks and crannies, little caves where robbers can hide, revolutionaries, cutthroats. They could hold you up at knife point, steal all your stuff, and leave you there for dead. And then there's animals. You got lions and tigers and bears. Oh my! But you got these animals that are stalking you by day and then at night they can go into your tent and take you. And so there are all of these fears that basically are associated with the mountain. Ancient people, when they see mountains, what they want to do is walk around them, even if it adds a couple weeks and months to their trip. But here's the problem. Jerusalem is on a mountain. Jerusalem is surrounded by mountains. And so the psalmist says we've got to go through these mountains and it's treacherous, 
and it fills them with fear. See, when he sings, I lift my eyes up to the mountains, he's fearful. He's like, oh my gosh, look, we have to go through these mountains. He feels vulnerable and exposed. And you know what? It's okay to feel vulnerable sometimes. It's okay to feel exposed. You know, we live in this culture that says we need to be in denial. We always need to be strong and, and take on whatever comes our way. But it's okay to admit our weakness. Because when we are in that place, that's when we can actually cry out for God. But let me ask you this. Where do you need God's help today? When you, when you first came here, what, where, where do you need help where are you crying out to God or to others? Maybe it's help with student loans. You're like, I just went through four years of school, and then I went and got my master's, and now I'm like, I'm still working at Starbucks. Like, God, help me, help me with my student loans. Or, or maybe it's help finding a spouse. You've, you've gone on all the websites, and you've met a friend of a friend and a friend's friend after that, and you're just like, God, there is, there is no one out there. God, you've got to help me. You've got to help me find the right person. Or maybe it's help with your health. Maybe it's your own health and you're kind of struggling with illness, but maybe it's the health of aging parents. And now you're trying to figure out if you have the resources to take care of them and maybe they have to move into your house and you got to make changes to your house or like maybe they need to go to assisted living and you're like, God, can you help me? Can you give me wisdom? I, I have no idea what to do. Or maybe it's help with anxiety, help with fear. Like your, your mind is always running and you're always going because you're feeling this sense of anxiety and a sense of loss. You know, maybe you, you, whenever your spouse leaves the house with your kids, you're thinking, what if I never see them again? And, and at night, you're just kind of playing through all the different scenarios because you think, if I can think of all the scenarios, I'll be okay. Because that's what anxiety makes us do. Listen, it's okay for us to admit that we need help. Only when we get to this place where we can admit that we need help that's when we can experience help. So even though on the one hand our culture says we need to, to, to deny it and, and kind of fake it till you make it and be strong, there are, stra there are strands where it says it's okay to call out for help. I think of this one song by Shawn Mendes where he says, I need some help. Check this out. Help me It's like the walls are caving in Sometimes I feel like giving up, but I just can't It isn't in my blood Laying on the bathroom floor, feeling nothing I'm overwhelmed and insecure, give me something I could take to ease my mind slowly Just have a drink and you'll feel better I feel like this song sounds like a psalm, doesn't it? It's like, I need help! And he's, I'm on the bathroom floor and I'm calling out for help. Guys, I just want to encourage you, if you're here today and you need help, don't give up. No matter how bad it gets or how dark it feels, don't give up because God is there with you in the midst of that. You know, this song is called In My Blood. He's like, you know, in my blood, I can't give up. And as followers of Jesus, we know that in our blood, we can't give up. Amen? Because it's the blood of Christ that gives us victory. It's his death on the cross that enables us to move forward. Amen? Give God a praise. Give God a praise. But we need to be aware of there is an eternal solution, but then there's also these temporary solutions that kind of get us off track. And, you know, Sean Mendes starts talking about this in his song. He's like, you know, if I could get another drink, I'll feel better. If I, if I get another drug, I'll feel better. If I smoke some weed, I'll feel better. And you will temporarily. But you won't 
feel better eternally. You see, we need a source of help that we can hold on to all the time. And that's why we have this truth from Psalm 121, because God is our help, we can have hope. Because God has got our back, because he is this infinite resource of help that we can hold on to and reach out to no matter where we are and what help that we need. Because God is our hope, we know that we can hope for provision. We know that we can hope for peace when our minds are always running. We know that we can hope in community to come around us and help us when we feel lonely. We can even have hope for healing because our God is a God that wants to break through. Because he is our help, we can have hope. So I want to look at four ways that we can start to release that hope into our lives from Psalm 121. And the first is to look to God for help. It's to look to God for help. We've got to look up. Say look up, church. Look up. Look up. And that's exactly what the psalmist says. He looks up and he sees the mountains and he's terrified, but he's like, I got to look beyond the mountain. I got to look beyond my fears. I got to look beyond my anxieties. And this is what he says. He says in verse 2, my help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. So he's looking beyond his fears, beyond his anxieties, beyond the things that are causing him his need for help to the maker of heaven and earth which is so different than I think the perspective in our culture today. Because our culture kind of tells us, if you need help, it, it, you got to look within. It, it's all about what's inside you. You can find all the resources that you need inside, all right? That's why self-help is such a big industry today. You know this past year's self-help book sold about $10 billion worth of books. It's incredible. And I'm sure these books provide a lot of help in terms of just kind of whatever challenges we face. But do you know the most likely people to buy self-help books? People who bought them 18 months earlier. So they have an 18-month cycle where you get the book, you read it, you put it into practice, and you're good for 18 months. And then you got to do it again and again. And the reason is it's not eternal. It's a temporary solution to look within because eventually you find your limits. So then the other solution is, okay, I, I can't find it all inward. I, I got to look outward. Other people can fix the problems. Maybe it's my parents who can fix the problem. Maybe it's the government that can fix my problem, which is not true, you know. <laughs> I got to look outside. I got to go. It's my networks. I got to network around, and that's going to fix my problem. So we're looking inward for the solution, and we look outward, and they bring some help, but it's not the kind that's going to last all the time. And that's why God says, we got to look upward first. When you look upward, he's the one that's going to be the help that you need. He is this infinite resource of help that can give you what you need, when you need it, at the right time. God, remember, he gives you the help that you need, not necessarily the help that you want in the moment. In fact, the, the Hebrew word for help is the word ezer. Someone say ezer. Ezer is a military term. It means to help and to rescue. It's reinforcements. It's this idea, if you imagine that you're with a platoon of soldiers and you're being fired upon and the enemy has surrounded you and you've got nowhere else to go, you either can die with your men or you can surrender. And so what you do is you radio for your ezer. You go, we need to get reinforcements here right now. And when you make that call, that's when the, the, the Air Force comes in. That's when the Navy comes in. That's when the Army comes in and the Rangers come in, the Marines come in, and they come and they rout out the enemies and so that you are now safe. And not only are you safe, you're victorious. That's the kind of help that God wants to bring you, the ezer kind of help. He wants to rescue you. And the sense I get is some of you, you've been asking God for help. You're like, God, I need help. And you're looking around going, where's, where, where, where's the help, God? What Ezra means is the help's on its way. God's help for you is on its way. 
Don't look at your circumstances. Don't look at your fears. Don't look at the mountains. Look to God and believe that the help is on its way. Amen? Amen. Can you look to God for your help, church? Can you look to God for your help? The reinforcements are coming. That's what he promises. When we understand that we can look to God for help, it's coming. See, because God is your help, you can have hope. And not only that, in this passage, we know that we can have hope in God's watchful care. God's watching out for us. In fact, let's look and see what verse 3 says. It says this, He will not let your foot slip. He who watches over you will not slumber in indeed. He who watches over Israel neither slumbers nor sleeps. Remember, God's an insomniac. He's up. Some of you are like, well, I'm up too. God's up with you. And so this idea that God is always watching us was such an important concept, especially in ancient Israel, because all the gods around them all would, would, would fall asleep. But this God that they worshipped would never sleep. And so they held on to that for hope. And so imagine these pilgrims are on their way to Jerusalem, and they're going up the mountain, and they find a trail like this. There's many of these kind of trails, and they're narrow, it's rocky, the rocks are loose, and they're coming to this trail, maybe it's three feet wide, and then all of a sudden they see this drop, 500 feet down. You know what they're praying? God, don't let my foot slip. God, don't let my foot slip. God, you better not let my foot slip. The entire time is they're weaving in and out of this path, which is on like a razor's edge. By the way, have any of you ever like had a slip and a fall? Anyone that ever happened to anybody? It's not fun. <laughs> in fact, it can be kind of terrifying for a lot of reasons. Like you lose control, you're, you're kind of going off. In fact, this happened uh, to me a couple weeks ago. We were um, over at my mother-in-law's house, and the whole family was there, and we were like, where's Sophia? Sophia's my niece. She's three years old. And, you know, we were like, where'd she go? And I looked up, and she was upstairs. I'm like, oh, no, like, you know, she can't be upstairs. So, so I go up the stairs and go, Sophia, sweetie, you can't go up the stairs. You, you have to go back down. And so she understood. And so I, literally, I was at the top of the stairs. I turned around to take my step down the stairs, and I slipped. I literally lost my footing and went boom, 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 all the way down to the bottom of the stairs. And you know, I'm like going, oh, I'm falling. You know, I'm like going crazy. My mother-in-law is like, oh my gosh, are you dead? I said, not yet. You know, I got rug burns, my back hurts. I'm like, oh no, what did I do to myself? And, and I'm looking up because I'm on my back and I see my, my, my little niece holding onto the railing, going down the stairs. And I'm like, she just watched me fall down the stairs. Like, her parents are going to have to have a therapy fund along with, with her college funds. So, so anyway, she gets to the bottom of the stairs, and she's literally standing right over me. And she goes, you've got to hold the railing, Uncle Nathan. You've got to hold the railing. And then she just steps over and goes and plays. And, and I'm just like, oh, okay. From the mouths of babes. And, oh, you know, but she was right. That railing was my help. If I held on to that railing, I might have slipped, but I wouldn't have fallen because I would have had that to hold me up. Guys, God is your help. He wants to be like that railing. You hold on to him. There may be times in your life where you slip and you slide a little bit, but you're not going to fall because he's got you. So can I ask, what are you at the edge of right now in your life? What, what are you feeling like you're at the edge of? Maybe it's the edge of sobriety. And you're like, I'm going to slip up. I'm going to mess up because you're, uh, you're on the wagon, then you're off the wagon. You're on the wagon and off the wagon. And you kind of want to give up because you just can't. It doesn't seem like there's this linear growth. But what God is saying is, no, no, get back on the wagon. 
Don't give up. Call out to me for help. Hold on to me for your help. I'm your Ezer, so you can have hope. Or maybe you're on the edge of a bad romance. There's a relationship that you're about to come out of, and it's an unhealthy one, and you're going through this divorce, and you're feeling fear because you feel so damaged and hurt. You're like, I'm never going to get through this. I'm always going to feel this pain. But God is saying, hold on to me for hope. I'm going to help you through this. I will walk you through this. I will not leave you. I will heal you as you look to me for your help. Or maybe you're at the edge of a job loss. The company may get rid of your position. They may eliminate your department, but they're not sure. So you're like in this limbo and you're feeling all this anxiety and fear like, oh my gosh, like what's going to happen? What should I do? Should I stay? Should I go? But God's saying, I got you. I'm your Ezer. I'll pull you off the edge because I'm the one who provides for you. I'm the one who will care for you. I'm the one that will walk you through this edge. You see, God is watchful. He's always awake. He's always seeing things. And I, I think many times our anxiety and our fears, they start to kind of take over our minds a little bit, right? We start to play this playlist of fear and anxiety and it runs and runs and runs and runs. But what God is saying is, you don't have to run after those things. I, I got it, I'm awake. I can be awake so you can sleep, so you can rest in me. In fact, that's why we can have hope. God wants to help us in those areas. In fact, that's exactly what Crystal discovered. Crystal had hit a point in her life where she had hit rock bottom. She'd lost her marriage. She was um, going through a foreclosure of her house. She wasn't sure how she was going to get through it. And she was depressed. And she was in this place where she didn't even know how to ask for help. But yet God was able to provide a neighbor who was able to not just share with her hope, but the hope of Jesus. Check this out. I grew up in New York. In my teen years, I kind of went on a different path and started to do things my own way. I started to date a young man and I wound up pregnant and things were pretty bad in the marriage. After that, we realized that it just wasn't going to work. So we separated. So once the divorce was final, I think I really, really felt the brunt of pain. My house was in foreclosure. I was deep in debt. The pain that I started to know was something that I didn't think I could handle. Uh, I became suicidal. Um, I went to take my trash out, and the next door neighbor was leaving her home as well. And I was just led to go talk to her, and she began to tell me what was going on in her life. And I, you know, I said, God loves you. I said, we all go through tests, but guess what? God is there to help guide us and lead us. She started crying. And I said, may I pray with you? I wanted to encourage, strengthen, and comfort her. And I started to feel something that I hadn't felt in a long time. I started to feel hope. So I immediately thanked her, you know, for speaking that word into my life when I was at such a low, low point. It just basically sparked something in me to do better for myself and do better for my children. I started to attend a church out here. People were so kind and, you know, I found myself smiling again. I remember coming across a young lady at my job and she was distraught. And I remember speaking to her and saying, your, your life is not over. Everything is going to be okay. And I felt 
honored to say that because somebody said that to me one day. So sometimes it's great to speak to others and remember where you've come from and remember what God has done for you in order for you to bless another person. Crystal discovered the message of Psalm 121 because God was her help. She could have hope. But I want you to notice something that Crystal wasn't able to have hope until someone came into her life and can speak a word of hope to her. You guys remember earlier I go, how many of you, you know, are here and you need help? Like you need God to help you with something. Maybe some of you were here and you're like, I, I was actually kind of good. Like my, everything seems like it's going great right now. And I'm like, praise God for that, by the way. Because there's seasons where we can enjoy that. But you think that maybe the reason you're in that place today is so that you can actually speak a word of hope to someone else? There's people in your life right now that are drowning and you have words to speak to them to give them hope. You have words or even actions, things you can do for them that can actually encourage them to give them life. And really, you know, they've been praying for hope and help and guess what? You're the answer to their prayer. And God's waiting for you to say yes and to go and speak a word of hope and a word of healing. See, that's kind of how God works. He, he does it in us, just like he did in Crystal. Crystal discovered that saved people serve people. Amen? Amen? That's what we do. So who are the people in your life that God is putting on your heart, maybe even right now, that you need to serve, that you need to speak a word of hope to? Because remember, Crystal discovered that she could hope in God's watchful care. God was watching he had her back, especially when she was able to hold fast to God's promises. Look what the psalmist is saying here. He sings, The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun will not harm you by day, nor the moon by night. You know when I read this verse, what I think it means? I think it means that God is throwing some shade. Now, not in a negative way, not like an insult, but literally like God is your shade. And, and, and I love this picture because the idea that this psalmist or this pilgrim who's on this journey, the reason why God's shadow is on him is literally because God is standing between him and the hostility of the sun. It's this picture of God actually being with us in our need for help, with us in our pain and our fear and anxiety. See, that's what I think is so powerful about this. Is, is God is actually with us in all those things. But why don't we always feel God is there? What, what, what kind of keeps us? How, how can we access the presence of God? Well, see, that's the power of Scripture. See, you know, we live in a world that is pretty hostile to faith and can even be hostile and dark at times. But that's one of the reasons why God has given us his promises. Like in the Bible, God gives us promises. In those promises, he promises to give us help and to give us hope, depending on what our situations are. In 1 Kings, this is what it says about the promises of God. Praise be to the Lord who has given rest to his people, Israel, just as he promised. Not one word has failed of all of the good promises he gave. See, God's promises are good. They're for our benefit. God was the, is the original promise keeper. When he says something, he means to keep it. And his intentions for you, his promises for you, are meant to lift you up. Maybe you're in a place today in life where you're at a crossroads. Maybe it's between a job or a relationship and you're like, I'm not sure like what's the right job or what's the right position? What's going to uh, be, you know, lead to like me flourishing versus not? And you're getting anxious about it because you're not sure what the right choice is. And maybe that's when you can hold on to Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, which says, trust in the Lord your God with all your heart. Do not rely on your own insight. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. Or maybe you're in this season 
where you're, God's calling you to do something bigger, something beyond yourself. Maybe it's to foster some kids. And you're kind of feeling really, really like, you're, you're, you know, even though you're excited about it, you're fearful. You're like, oh my gosh, like we have to get our house changed so that we can have these new kids. And, and then what's going to happen when they come and they have their issues? And how's that going to interact with my kids that I already have? And what's going to happen with social services? And your mind is starting to run and you're getting fearful and anxious. And you're like, maybe I should shrink back. But God is saying this, Joshua 1.9, be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened or dismayed for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Or maybe you're feeling a lot of frustration right now. You're having some health issues and you're going from doctor to doctor and they're telling you different things and they're giving you different treatments and yet no one really knows what's wrong and you're just getting more and more frustrated and just kind of even angry. And you're trying to figure out how do I process this? And maybe your eyes fall onto James 1, 2 and you marinate in this verse. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, when you face trials of many kinds, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. You see, the promises of God are for us to hold on to. It's the railing we hold on to as God gives us our ezer, our help, our reinforcements when we are struggling. That's their purposes. Because God is my help, I can have hope. Amen? In fact, why don't you turn to the person to your right and say, God is my help. Turn to the person on your left and say, I have hope. That's the truth that we can have. When we have the promises of the scriptures, it can reinforce the truth that God is our help and he delivers us hope. And maybe you're thinking, you know, because maybe you're new to Jesus and new to faith, and you're like, well, listen, where do I find those promises for my situation and my circumstance? Well, you can always ask one of your pastors. We'd love to be able to help you find the right verses that you can hold on to, the right railing. The other thing you could do is go to YouVersion. It's a Bible app, and there's tons and tons of devotionals and Bible studies that can help you know God's Word and hold on to the promises. Whenever you're experiencing fear or anxiety or you're in places of choice and transition, God's Word is there to help you. And when you're able to rest on the promises and hold fast to them, then you can rest in God's protection. God provides protection. And that's what the psalmist is singing. As he sees Jerusalem, as he's going over the mountain, he sings these words, the Lord will keep you from all harm. He'll watch over your life. The Lord will watch over your coming and going, both now and forevermore. That word life is interesting because it actually has two meanings. It means life, your physical life, your flesh and blood life. It can also be translated as soul. So is the psalmist confused? Like, is it your soul that God keeps safe or, or your, your life? Well, both. What the psalmist is saying is God's protection is all-encompassing. It's comprehensive. Because the truth of the matter is that none of us are going to get out of this life alive. It's true. In fact, in some way, shape, or form, we are all going to be touched by suffering, disappointment, betrayal, hurt. And I think sometimes we think, okay, if I follow Jesus, all of those things won't touch me, but that's not true. Those things can touch you, but they don't take over. You see, that's the promise that God's protection gives us is that these things are all temporary. They will not last eternally. That the struggles that we have now, the tragedies that we're living through now are only temporary. And the ultimate hope we have is that God will come and heal us and heal this broken world that we're in. Because you see, hope, 
even hope, as great as it is, it's not eternal. You see, hope eventually gives way to victory. And that's one of the reasons why we celebrate what Jesus did for us on the cross. You know, the day that Jesus died on the cross, he was actually at a prayer meeting with his best friends. And they're praying, and one of the things that Jesus prayed was he is actually praying for you. He's thinking about you when he said, Father, would you protect her? God, would, would you protect him? He doesn't know what he's doing, so would you protect him from himself? God was praying for your protection. Jesus was. But the only way that you could be protected, body, mind, and soul, was that Jesus had to lose his protection. So the Father took his hand of protection off of Jesus. And on that dark day, Jesus was betrayed by his closest friends. He was unjustly arrested by the police. He experienced a travesty of injustice. He was beaten. He was tortured. And finally, he was marched up a mountain, a place called Golgotha. He was nailed to a cross. And on that cross, he was singing one of the Psalms. He was singing Psalm 22, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And on that cross where Jesus died, something happened. See, in that moment, it seemed like tragedy had the final word. It seemed like sin and evil and death, that's how things would end. But that wasn't the end. See, there was a tremor that went through the entire created order because essentially it was saying that death, you have been defeated. Because Jesus, on the cross, took on sin, absorbed its power, and three days later he rose again, showing that death could be defeated. Tragedy would end in triumph. That's the whole reason, that's the only reason why we can actually ask for help. We can ask God for help because of the hope that God gave us through Jesus' death on the cross. Because Jesus died for us on the cross, we now have help and salvation in Christ. Because Jesus died for us and was abandoned by God, we would no longer ever be alone. God would always be with us, no matter where we are, no matter what we're going through. He promises his presence no matter what. So that whenever we cry out for help, he is right there to deliver hope, which will eventually lead to triumph. This is what our God has done for us, and this is what we celebrate. And so the way we need to end this series is the way we started. When we call out for help, God gives us hope. So here's what I want to say. I want to, at all of our campuses, let's all stand up for a moment because we're going to worship our God. We're going to remember that the tragedies are not the end of the story. Amen? We have to remember that your story is not over. Maybe you're in a place where you need help right now and God's saying, help is coming. The Ezra is on its way. Reinforcements are making their way towards you. But maybe you're in that place where you're living in hope and God is saying, you need to bring that word to your neighbors and your friends and your family. And so here's what you need to do. We've been doing this all month. Go ahead and put your hands up. Okay, not like this. No T-Rex worship, church. <laughs> nice and high. 
Because we serve a God who wants to give us help, who wants to give us hope. Say help. help. Say hope. hope. Say help. help. Say hope. hope. And now let's pray the words of Psalm 121 to declare that our God is our helper. Let's say these words together in one loud voice. I lift my eyes up to the mountains. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. The Lord will keep you from all harm. He will watch over your life. The Lord will watch over your coming and going, both now and forever. Let me pray for you. Holy Spirit, we just ask you to come right now. And we declare right now that you are our helper. You, are, you bring your victorious right hand into our lives. We do not need to fear. So in our fear, we hold on to you. You're our Ezra. You're sending reinforcements. And we trust that you are coming to our aid. You give us the help that we need. Maybe not the help that we always want, but you are faithful. And you promise to come through for us. And we hold on to that in the mighty and awesome name of Jesus. We all pray. Amen. Amen.